0: Out of every 100 children in the United States, about three of them have a disruptive behavior disorder. The cause is unknown. Things that increase the risk for them are child abuse, neglect, a traumatic life experience such as sexual abuse or violence, the loss of a family member such as those who have been in foster care or adoption or a family history of a disruptive behavioral disorder. This week on The Real Juggle, I speak with a fellow mom about parenting children with a disruptive behavioral disorder. Please know that today we'll focus on the parenting side of the equation, the parenting perspective. Sometimes love alone just isn't enough. And it's a unique juggle to not only work, but to live each day with unpredictable behaviors outbursts, physical and verbal aggression, often not being able to keep child care in place, calls from the school or children's services become normal. You lose friends, sometimes even family, because you often have to break promises, miss events, or even stop going to church because your child's behavior just isn't socially acceptable. It's exhausting. Sometimes it's lonely, even if you have tons of people around you. On Monday mornings, when people ask the normal question of, how was your weekend? You spare them the details and you just lie. It was great, how about yours? God forbid you relive your weekend. You spend countless hours researching therapies, programs, schools for your child in a world with very few resources to support the needs of the myriad of children who are suffering with this trauma-based behavioral disorder. And when you do find something, it's often not covered by insurance and easily costs $300 to $600 a day. That's $10,000 to $18,000 dollars per month. Who could even afford that for a week, let alone the 12 to 18 months that they generally recommend? There are no quick fixes. The kids don't want to do the things that they do most of the time, and often they regret it after. But the trauma, the fear, the reactivity runs so deep, the cycle just repeats. So I ask you to please have an open mind as you watch or listen to today's episode. I'm grateful that Susan agreed to join me today. And I hope that this episode is informative for you and maybe even encourages you to seek out ways that you can support parents dealing with similar struggles. I want to thank you so much, Susan, for joining me today um, for this really, really important conversation. Why don't we just start out by you sharing a little bit with everyone about yourself and your background?
1: Sure. Um, Susan Pasella, I am a uh, wife of 21 years, and I have four children. Um, We had two biologically and two we brought in through adoption. We live in Gap, Pennsylvania, so Lancaster County. My neighbors are Amish. (laughs) Yes, I'm a speech pathologist by education, but I actually have my own consulting business um, right now. And that's basically me.
0: Awesome. Good to know. So it was probably really helpful, at least um, early on, for you to have a background in speech pathology. Did that kind of help you in raising your kids, or did you reference any of those skills?
1: Absolutely. It helped me know what was, generally developmentally appropriate versus what is something that is kind of in the gray area and then what is not, like when to to seek additional help uh, professionally. Um, but I think sometimes I knew too much. So uh, sometimes I was probably a little maybe hyper about a few things. So um, yeah, I definitely needed to put on a mom hat versus that professional hat uh, pretty intentionally.
0: Yeah, it was probably much better than the WebMDs that many of us get. So I'm sure you were ahead of the game. <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: So as an adoptive mom myself, and for years I did foster parenting, um, my experience as a parent um, from being having biological children versus um, fostering or adopting, totally different. And I think that's largely because of the trauma that children who have been in the system or have had that loss um, from their biological parents, it, it just creates its own um, its own set of needs that are really, really unique for people that parent kids who are a- adopted. So can you share a little bit just about some of just take us on the journey about some of the experiences that you've had as an adoptive parent?
1: Sure. Um, and yeah, I think that that's a really interesting piece to bring out that if you do have, biological children <clears throat> you not only share dna but we are really prone to like whenever we see things come out in our children whether it's positive or negative we might say oh that reminds me of aunt so and so or oh that's just like your father or like we already have those natural bridges of connection and attachment so that can be really hard with children that you've brought into your family who don't have that um what I think most people take for granted as exactly. some of that innate connection. And so, um, it definitely was, um, an interesting dynamic of bringing kids into our family. We adopted at age, um, three and six, so older, um, already with, um, a lot of personality, but also exposure to complex trauma. Mm-hmm. And so our boys, um, even before they had language and this is where that speech pathology part comes in um having language to be able to express trauma um it's so powerful and important for mm-hmm. giving the brain a chance to cope. and um just that getting it out uh, verbally is so important so with our boys in particular They had trauma before they had language, so they really struggle to this day to express the the sadness and the uh, feeling of not connecting or having an identity with our family, they feel lost.
0: Yeah, Um, and a lot of adults, if you think about it, a lot of adults have difficulty articulating trauma or difficult feelings, big feelings, as we tell our kids a lot, right, articulating big feelings. So we can imagine that the kids are going to have similar struggles, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I thought was important and I shared, you know, talked about a little earlier is I really wanted to focus this conversation on our experience, as you know, on the juggle, you know, as adoptive parents, as parents in general, we have a lot that we're balancing in our lives, right? Um, Between what we need to do and what we have to do. And very often when you have children with complex emotional issues or diagnoses, it just exacerbates things, it makes it more difficult. What I don't think is that the general public has a real appreciation for what that looks like um, for us. It's not just the typical defiance, disobedience, uh, you know, teenage, you know, phase, it's a lot more involved than that. So can you share a little bit around how raising children with really, really um, with diagnoses or really, really strong trauma issues has been different?
1: Yeah, I think when you've had, at least in my experience, my two biological kids in the womb, Shaping starts to occur, you know. Um, I think a lot of people don't understand that trauma is can be prenatal and is often prenatal. So um, I think with our experience is that it can actually be very embarrassing when you're out in public and people can look at you like, "Don't you know how to parent your kids?" or "Can't you control him?" Um, especially with big um, tantrums. Um, eloping, so that running away just out of nowhere, um, swiping shelves, um, just these impulsive reactions to the things you see on TikTok or on, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and not recognizing that there could, we could be walking through Walmart, for instance, and there was a, some, a, a person who reminded our son of his birth mother, or a smell that actually triggered deep um, in like, deep, deep in his core in the back of his brain, a memory that he can't articulate but knows that that was a a time where he was completely unsafe, and was being harmed. And so I think when those things spike um, on the outside, as a parent, you can really, you almost have to stop caring what other people think, because you know your kids best or you're trying to get to know your kids, as they're learning themselves. And so from a parent standpoint, um, I think you really, even more than with biological kids, you have to just let go of other people's opinions and um, figure out times to gently educate when you get into contact with people who really just don't know.
0: Right. And, you know, when you do have a safe space of people that you could talk to where you share, this is what happened, or this is what I'm seeing, or guess what, you know, XYZ child did today, Mm -hmm. um, you know. I don't know about you, but I've gotten that reaction. just send them to me for a week. <laughs> just, just oh send them my to me. If he was days. my child, you know, there'd be like, you know,
1: the referencing to like, oh, it just takes a good spanking or, you know, um, timeout, which we know time out is very for, polarizing for our kids. And they actually are like, fine, you know, for kids that struggle with attachment issues, Putting them in timeout simply verifies what they are believing in their core. People will leave me and all I have is myself. So having to do time in, it just looks so contrary to typical good parenting.
0: Right. And you know what's interesting is um, that the patience, the level of patience that you have to have to go through this. And forgiving yourself for not being patient all the time, because this isn't just one or two episodes. Like you Mm -hmm. said, the trip to the Walmart, this is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I've had this conversation with um, parents like ourselves and everything from locks on the refrigerator, not from a punitive standpoint, but to make sure that you don't wake up with like ketchup on your face or like, you know, liquids strewn around the house or something spoiling, Um, cameras in our homes, just to make sure that not only your child is safe but that all your children are safe and that you're safe um, to make things happen. So it puts, as a parent, it puts you in a hypervigilant state and it almost creates, I don't know if you've experienced, but a trauma for yourself. I have lost myself, friends, um, and people that I considered family because you know I had to blow off an event at the last minute. Actually, blow off is the wrong term. I had to cancel attending something at the last minute and they took it personally, but it's because you know how it is. You don't, you can't time it. You're dealing with these issues. So I know as a married um, person, how has it affected? I always said, if I were married, I'd already be divorced because I don't know (laughs) how, how, how it would be, but can you share how it's impacted your relationships?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think with, again, parenting biological children, you're going to naturally have differences from one parent to another. And then as soon as you throw in an element of, um, neither of you really fully understanding what's going on. And I also think you, you pull, you draw so much from what your own experiences were for how you were parented, but most of those are just not going to work. And so I know for my husband and I, we just had a really sim- simple, tap out <laughs> when one of us was getting heated. Cause there are just days where you don't remain under control mm-hmm. as a human. And it was just for some reason today, whatever is going on is I am at my breaking point, point. and mm-hmm. so we would just go, "Hey, babe, tap tap," like on the shoulder. I I've got this. Generally, one of us was able was able to stay more under control, right? And just yeah, and I think constantly communicating with each other, um, and really being willing to say to you know to the other, I think you're off on this. I think you know trying to and yeah. give reasons and it make it make it so that you are a unit. Um, you can't let your kids pit you against each other. So, constant checking in. I think that's good parenting advice anyway, but um, just constant checking in of what, what do you think? What did you say about this? I need to talk to mom, I need to talk to dad. Um, right. Yeah. I, I, I think that's times. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, I, I can see how this could be a really big wedge in
0: um, a marriage relationship. Right. And then the other thing is uh, folks who say, well, just love them, just love them, just love them as much as you can love them. And love conquers all, and love is going to fix it. Have you heard that? I know I've heard that a lot.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, oh, good thing kids are so resilient. That's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, that bothers me so much because I think it really discounts the trauma that our kids have experienced, even if their only trauma, in quotes is that they are not with their family of origin Mm -hmm. let's say everything was just fine that's huge and it's not there's to their core they're going to have um feelings of abandonment or why was i in a sense given away given up i mean even if they're in the most wonderful family Um, so i think that those kinds of statements really um like
0: Diminish the the true experience.
1: Yes, exactly. And most of it is meant well. Like I've had people say, "Oh, it's so good that you know you and your husband; these kids are so lucky." Thank God for you. I'm like they're not lucky. Like they went through, like I don't know if I can say it. Like they went through, you know, the worst of the worst as children, and not even as adults. You know, like they haven't even gotten there yet. So yeah, I would say those. Don't say that <laughs> to anybody <laughs> who's listening or, or watching. Like, um, yeah, it's thankfully we are learning that the brain is able to form yeah. new patterns,
0: but, but, it, but it takes a lot of work. Yeah, it I was gonna say it's a lot of lot work and it takes time. And, um, and so I just wanna be careful saying that you and I both know this, but we recognize that although it's addressable it's something that is addressable over a time period that the average person, you know what I mean, um, does not even like re- respect or recognize. It's not just six months or just a year or just it is a lifelong journey. If you talk to folks with reactive attachment disorder who are adults, mm-hmm. they still struggle with some of the ability to connect. And so it's yeah. it's definitely a marathon. It's, it's beyond a marathon. One of the things that um, I wanted to chat about, too, was just the nature of reactive attachment disorder or just attachment issues in general, because um, so often, like it's not a full diagnosis. It's just the recognition that there are attachment issues that need to be addressed because, our therapists and psychiatrists are getting anecdotal inputs, right? And they're looking at behaviors over time. So it's hard to just meet a few times and and make the diagnosis. But one of the things that's um, characteristic is the manipulation. So even though they love you, you're close to your kids and you're connected, that they often act out with the folks that are closest to them because even though they want the connection, they also are testing you to see if it's real. So they up the ante and what they do to push you away to see if, if I do this, if I burn the house down, like literally I've had issues with, you know, if I burn the house down would that, would would you hate me then? Would you push away? So are you see, do you see some of that as well? The push pull?
1: And I think it's really important to mention that what we're talking about is kids with underdeveloped brains in general. (laughs) So you have all of, you have normal biology where you have, for instance, a a boy, their frontal part of their brain, their frontal cortex is not fully developed until their early to mid twenties, then throw in all of this, like that, that we're asking them to juggle. So I think that that's important to mention. Um, But yes, I mean, I, we have realized with our one son who is currently in a wilderness program that he is manipulative, but I don't, think he even knows that he is. Yeah. Hmm. I think what he is, and so it can be so <laughs> difficult to even try to, in a sense, call him out on what we're seeing because I don't really even know that he realizes he's doing it himself.
0: Behavior um, is natural for them. And we kind of like encapsulate it and put a label on it to try to define it or have it make sense to us. But you're right. It's just it's so natural.
1: And we've we've even said that like <laughs> Um, he is one of the best gaslighters we know, but he, he literally can make you start to feel like you're going crazy because what you are watching, you know, is true, but then you're being told that's not what's happening. It's just, it's a very, I don't know if you've had that experience as well. It just is a very unsettling way to, to live.
0: Um, it's, it's just weird because you can go head to head and say, no, that this is what happened. No, this is what happened. No, this is what happened, but it's true on both sides because you begin to think like, that's actually what they the believe. Yes. Yes. So you can't yeah. fight someone on what it's, it's sort of like green dress, blue dress, you know, the people who saw the green dress, it was it green and blue or blue and gold, whatever it was, the people exactly. who saw one color, like literally saw that color and that exactly is a brain perception, right? It's how your brains your brain connects with your with your your eyes. I think, and I want to focus on kind of our experience. Um, I think there should be some thought put to the triangulation that happens, even though it's natural, to um, the impact on the family unit. So not just you know their parents, but also their siblings when. They do things to triangulate. They make up things at school and then the teachers are mandated and then you have to have conversations and then eventually, but just, I mean, eventually, you know, for healthy families, that stuff goes away, but just going through that process. I don't know if you've experienced that, but that can be very, very unsettling.
1: Yeah. I think from our standpoint, from our personal experience, it's been more the um, trying to help the, the child, our, our one son in particular in when he he's actively still in crisis. And so trying to help him, but then also not only help our other three kids with normal life, but then put on top of it, the strain and the stress
0: that they carry watching the rest of these right. play it's out. It's not, it's not what one person's going through this and other person's going through it is interconnected. Yeah. yeah. And so trying as a parent to be all things to each of these
1: people is, I mean, truly, I had to stop feeling guilty about it when I had to drop everything else because all of my energy was going to, it just felt like I was keeping everybody else's head above water Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, just trying to figure out my role and my how to mother each of these people where they are. It was just, and it's so unique. So yeah. it's yeah. very draining.
0: Um, very. So how do, how do you, how do you participate in self-care? Because part of the reason I created the real juggle is because I feel like we all juggle different responsibilities, but it's a unique situation when you're parenting children with special needs. It's like its own juggle. And so I wanted to bring awareness to the, what we know, which is there are so few pediatric psychiatry services. Um, Many of them will lump them because they're so few. If you meet the age criteria, your kids are in there with, you know, they usually separate out the sexual um, issues or pyromania, but they're in there with, you know, children with a myriad of issues. And then you've got the exposure problem, right? When you're trying to get help. But similarly, there are so few resources for us as parents um, if you go online, those of you listening and watching, and you look for therapists to who specialize in reactive attachment disorder, they are few and far between. Um, and there's a lot of talk around trauma-informed care, but there's not as many services available around um, attachment and what that looks like and the trauma of the, the attachment loss. And so um, just from your vantage point, you know, Talk to me about like your experience with hospitalizations or seeking out resources for the kids.
1: Yeah, so I would say, thankfully with our um, our church has been a really um, amazing source of support. We have several other families that have adopted through foster care um, in particular. And so we try to stay connected, um, either meeting once a month, um, or just through text, it may seem really simple, but we reach out to each other just to say, oh, my goodness, I'm having a day or th- this is what's going on. And I think that that text thread would blow people's minds with mm-hmm. what these parents are are shouldering and handling,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, including, um, like you already mentioned, like calling in uh, children and youth that, you know, s- statements were made, reports were filed, like and just the uh, again, the heaping on of the added stress. Um As far as other resources, we also found um, after our adoptions um, that the resources that we had for post adoption through our county were pretty poor.
0: Thank you for watching the first part of our two-part series on parenting children with complex behaviors.
1: They actually just um, added more stress. Um, They had to come to our house when all the kids were there. And it was to the point where my husband said, I think it would be better if you left.
0: If you can relate, please visit therealjuggle.com and click on the microphone icon to share your story or what your experience is. I'd be happy to include you. I think the more of us that speak to this topic, the more impetus and momentum we'll have in getting additional resources for our children. Please visit therealjuggle.com and sign up so that you can get alerted when the next episode is available. In the meantime, be kind, be a blessing, and be yourself.